Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Amen and amen. We started last weekend asking God for his power, his presence, and his purpose. I'm happy to stand here seven days later and say we met with God this week, church. We experienced the presence, the power, and the purpose of God. It was a week that I don't know how to describe, except to say I've never been more physically exhausted and spiritually awake that I can recall. We saw stories, and you've heard stories across the campuses, and even here, I have a story of Chad. He wasn't a follower of Jesus, never been to church. His daughter accepted Christ at camp month or so ago, and he watched Jesus change her, and he said, I got to figure this thing out, sort of sat in the back for a couple nights, and finally came down and said, this Jesus thing has changed my daughter, and I sense the presence of God. He accepts Christ. This is the first prayer he ever offered was a prayer of salvation. You see the power of God moving. See, Lewis from Columbia doesn't speak a lick of English. His family's like, dude, you got to come to prayer with us. He's like, nah. Not for me. First of all, I can't understand anything you're saying. Second of all, I don't, this Jesus thing, I don't know. So just come, we'll translate. So they literally sat for two or three nights in the back, whispering, translating what we're talking about. And then when we open up for hands-on prayer at the end, he said, I, I, need to, I need to surrender my life to Jesus. And Yona, one of our worship pastors, speaks fluent Spanish. He said, I got this one. God designed me for this moment. We led him to Christ in Spanish. And I think all of heaven rejoices in all the different languages in those moments. A young man named Matthew, discharged from the army for back pain, lived at a seven or eight pain level. And he came down for hands-on prayer and said, will you pray and ask God to heal? We said, all right. And so Pastor Chris Morgan put his hand on his back and started praying. And I, again, best we can tell, God healed the guy. He's running up and down the stairs at Central Campus because the power of God healed him. See, those... Those stories are arresting, and, and, and they stretch my faith, to be honest. They, they enlarge my view of who God is, but perhaps the most profound thing I experienced, everyone who showed up to seven days of prayer, listen, you experienced something different, something sort of caught your eye or caught your spirit. The thing that caught my spirit was I watched people in unity under the name of Jesus. See, I watched Galatians 3 play out. Here's, here's the scripture we read all the time. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Therefore, listen, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And we say this line all the time, like, church, we're one. I watched it play out. In, in, in the presence of God, there's no CEO versus college student. There's no socioeconomic strata. There's no race. You're this color. You're that color. There's no, there's no politics. I voted this way. I voted that way. Suddenly, in the presence of God, I watched a church come into unity. And listen, nothing in the world changed in that moment, but everything changed in the presence of God. It wasn't forced. It wasn't, it wasn't contrived. It was interesting. No one came up and asked for prayer and said, by the way, I make six figures. You should pray different. You, you, you don't think that way in the presence of God, right? Suddenly, we're all humbled and all equal under the mighty hand of God, and it was arresting for me personally. 
I've spent moments just watching this room and people of different races praying for each other. People who I know voted differently praying for each other. People who I know make vastly different salaries praying for each other. Why? Because under the mighty hand of God, we're equal. We are one in Christ Jesus. And here's, here's the statement that God gave me. He said, Jason, as culture divides, you're watching it, as we start to sort of put ourselves in little camps, left, right, up, down, over here. I believe this. I'm anti this. I'm for this. As the world fractures, there are some conversations that only can be had in the presence of God through the filter of prayer. And I wonder, church, I wonder if in this next season, the only way we're going to see unity as a church is if we spend time together in the presence of God. And maybe over these next four weeks, let's just start there. Maybe over the next four weeks, you need to make Saturday prayer more of a priority. Maybe 8 a.m. Central Campus Saturday prayer, you're going to listen. I'm going there because I want to see God unify a church to something. Over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about starting next Sunday. Where's God driving this church forward? Maybe you need to make Saturdays a place where you say, God, I'm drawing a line in the sand. I want to see a church actually unified. There's so many things that fracture us everywhere, but in prayer, in the presence of God, that is where God actually brings unity under the banner of Jesus. And it was a beautiful thing to watch this week. But if I can be human, this is one of the most complicated sermon writing weeks I've ever had. <laughs> I, I went into this week pretty confident of what God wanted to say and what I was going to teach today. And then prayer started. And I go to Sunday night prayer, and I just experience sort of a fresh awareness of who God is. And I'm watching him do stuff. I'm like, scratch that. And I'd wake up Monday morning, and I start writing again. And I'm like, that's what you want. And then I go to Monday night prayer, and I'm getting the presence of God. And God's like, I see God do this, and I see God move this way, and I have a fresh experience. I'm like, scratch that. Tuesday, I do this all the way till Friday morning. I was just telling the guys backstage, I was like, God, it's got to stop. Sunday's in 48 hours. This has been awesome, but I got to say something. So here's, here's sort of where God brought me to. I'm going to tell you one thing this week that God reminded me of. And one thing I think God's calling this church to. That's it. I had some really great messages. Trust me. They were, they were going to be so good. It was all, they, were, they were way better than you could imagine, maybe. I, I had stuff. But I'm just bringing it to this moment of, listen, there's one thing God reminded me of and something God's calling this church to. So if you're taking notes, here's the first one. And here's the good news, first of all. Maybe you were at seven nights of prayer. God's going to deepen some things in you. Maybe you couldn't make it work, and that wasn't part of your rhythm this week. Here's the good news. You can start today. God's inviting us into some things. Here's the first truth. Here's what God reminded me of. We have access to God. Depending on where you are in your faith journey, some of you go, okay. This is a mind-blowing thought for me. As I watched prayer play out, it was like I just realized afresh we have access to God. Like God didn't just leave us here and say, I'll see you in heaven someday. Good luck. We have access to the creator of the universe. But why? See, I want to unpack the under sort of foundation undergirding to why prayer exists. It's a little known piece of scripture inside of the crucifixion story. And I, I've not heard it taught a ton. At this point in the story, Jesus had been arrested, been beaten. 
crown of thorns. He's on the cross and he's about to die. He's about to give up his, his, his soul. And this is what happens. I want to read this scripture to you. Matthew 27. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. What does that mean? Okay, a curtain was torn. There's a mom angry out there somewhere that someone tore her curtain, right? No, no, no. Let, let, me, let me unpack this. You see, before the crucifixion, the setup spiritually was that God lived in one place called the Holy of Holies in the temple. Listen, the whole temple was built with like a holy architecture that kept people in the right degrees of nearness to the presence of God. Like women had to stay over here and they couldn't get any closer to the presence of God. And then, and then Gentiles, people who weren't Jews, had to sort of stay back here. And then Jewish people could sort of come into this next layer of the temple. I can't unpack the whole blueprint of the temple today, but, but you could get a little bit closer if you were Jewish. And then the priests would go to this place called the Holy of Holies. And they could minister in there throughout the year, but there was one time a year where they'd actually go into the actual presence of God, the holiest square footage on earth. And that was guarded by an intricately designed curtain that separated the presence of God from the people. And even when the priest went in, he had to literally, ceremoniously, religiously clean himself and purify himself to get into the presence of God. And this is how it worked. God's over there. I'm over here. And so what does it mean that the, the curtain tore? It means that literally, literally, Jesus tore the veil that separated you from God. We have access to God because of Jesus' sacrifice. This is mind-blowing. Not, this is not just like spiritual hype. This is not just theology. If we understood, we have access to God Almighty because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Not only did Jesus forgive you, not only did Jesus secure your eternity if you're a follower of Jesus, he gave us access to his dad. Like, even more so than just the curtain tearing, it says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? In that moment, the temple, the Jewish temple became not needed because you are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. God, is, God went from over there to in here. He went from having a street address to, to putting on skin and being in us. We have access to God. I watched it play out this week, and God reminded me afresh. I have access to God through the person of Jesus. I can boldly approach his throne because of what Jesus did. Some of y'all aren't getting this yet. Because if you did, you'd lose your mind. So let me put it to you in terms we might get here in Georgia. Prayer is like a Garth Brooks concert. So let's pray. And so God, it is. Wait for it. My brother-in-law, Jeremy, a wife's sister, uh, and uh, her husband, he's a huge Garth Brooks fan. Like, I got friends in, thank you for the two people, it's beautiful. Low play, I like the swoop, low play. Loves Garth Brooks. Grew up in South Georgia, man, that was his thing. Never was able to go to a Garth concert. So for his birthday four years ago, the first concert ever in the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. 
And we surprised him. We said, dude, we're taking you to Garth. He's like, we're going to Garth? I said, we're going to Garth. He said, really, we're going to Garth? We're going to Garth. So we drive all the way down into Atlanta. We get to the concert. And we get there. And let me show you a picture from our seats. Here's a picture from our seats. <laughs> See that little G down there? That's the stage. And that G is about 30 foot tall. When I say we're in the back row, we're legitimately in the very back. There's no one behind us. Like it's us and the walkway. <laughs> Literally air conditioning units were as close as me to the drums. Like they'd turn on and be like, I'm like, this is terrible. If you remember reading the headlines after that concert, they got roasted because the speakers weren't working. So the concert starts. We literally can't make out what he's saying. And I'm watching my brother-in-law die inside. He's waited his whole life, 30-some years, to see Garth. This is his, like, music hero. And then what happens in the back of the stadium stays back there. Apparently, it was the Wild West. There's this couple, two people down, just smoking inside smoking and my brother-in-law almost gets in a fight with him like this night he's like put it out and they're like make me and I'm like Jeremy come on we're not doing this tonight <laughs> and there's something in my in my soul is like this is not right we're in the back row farthest away chucklehead over here smoking you're almost in a fight what are we doing problem is it's a sold-out show so we're like dude we got to figure something out so the four of us got together and we started walking downstairs there's no seats anywhere, but we sort of found a place where we could stand and sort of peek around the corner, and we were a little bit closer. We're like, this is better. At least we can hear. And then the security guard came and said, you can't stand here. And we moved to the next enclave and stand there for a minute, and they kept moving. The first third of the concert is terrible. Like, this is not what I wanted. So I said, guys, you stay here. I got to go. I got to go figure something out. And one of the things I love to do is try to talk my way into things, and so I went and found a security guard. I see it as a challenge. So I found a security guard down on the main floor, the main security desk. I said, listen, we got to talk. And this little lady said, what you need, baby? I said, I like you already. I said, here's the deal. And I told her the story. My brother-in-law waited his whole life. This was the night. It's his birthday. This was the night. I said, let me show you my ticket. She goes, ooh. I said, I know. I said, what are we going to do? She said, I don't know what to do. It's a sold-out show. I said, we got to do something. The collective we, right? We're now wearing it together. We got to do something. And she said, hold on, baby. She grabbed her radio. <laughs> she goes, all right. If you can get your family to this elevator in the next two minutes, I got a plan. So I get on my phone. I'm like, get to this elevator now. They're running through the place. We get to this elevator. And you can tell it's an important elevator because there's these dudes standing by it that could like just... Pound me into the ground like a roofing nail, right? And I'm like, we're the, the four of us are looking up, and she goes, stop, there with me, baby, there with me. So they put me on the elevator. And we go up this elevator, and I'm, we're all looking at each other. We don't know what's happening. And we just start trying to play it cool. We're like, don't smile. Just play it cool. Act, act like you belong here. And we have to keep going through all these different security checkpoints. And every time she said, they're with me, they're with me. And finally, they open the door. It's the owner's suite on the 50-yard line. Listen, I walk into this place. Here's our view. That's our original view. That's us on the 50-yard line in the owner's suite. She said, Mr. Blank. I said, you mean Arthur Blank? She goes, yeah. Mr. Blank didn't know if he was going to be here tonight, so the whole thing is stocked. There's food everywhere, drinks everywhere. This is all yours. It's just y'all in here tonight. What? I, I was like, act like you've been here before, right? 
if, you, if you're curious, here's a video I took of the place. This is our suite. The whole place is ours. The people staying there are not there to see the show. They're our wait staff. What can I get you? This is the best night of my life. We paid for the cheap seats and we're in the owner's suite. Listen to me. We will talk about that night for 20 years. And by the way, Arthur Blank, if you're watching, dude, thanks for loaning me your joint. It was awesome, bro. It was awesome. Here's what I want to tell you. Many of us see prayer like shouting from the nosebleeds in the back, saying, God, can I get your attention? God, do you care? I got to think I see you over there. When Jesus died on the cross, he took us from nosebleeds to the owner's suite. Listen, that's the kind of access that God's given us through Jesus. And how many of us have settled for the nosebleeds when God's going, listen, draw nearer. You have more access than you can fathom. Many of us have treated prayer like we're stuck in the back. Yeah, you got a ticket to the show. You said yes to Jesus. You're in. You're in the stadium. You're, you're eternally secure. You're a follower of Jesus. But for you, for too long, prayer has been this distant thing where either you sit in the back and just sort of let's get through the show or you're back there thinking you have to get God's attention because you're so far away when in fact he invites us into the owner's suite. Prayer means that we have access that kind of unprecedented access to God the Father. And maybe you've lived in the nosebleeds for a long time. See, our prayer going into seven nights of prayer was not just that we'd have an incredible seven nights, it's that God would awaken a church to prayer. And maybe this theological underpinning is what you need to understand the type of access you have been given to the Father. Prayer is not shouting at God from the nosebleeds, it's having a conversation in the owner's suite. But what good is it? What good is it to have access to the owner's suite and not take advantage of it? Imagine if she said, come on, baby. And I said, no, I'm good. We're going to go back to the nosebleeds. Imagine. What good is it that she would have taken me there if I didn't take advantage of it? And that's the nature of prayer. What good is the knowledge of that if you don't take advantage of it? So one thing God reminded me of is we have access to God. One thing God's calling this church to in this next season, simply this. Take ownership of your access to God. What good is it if you just know it? If you don't take advantage of it, you don't take ownership of your access to God. If you're taking notes, take ownership of your access to God. See, the fact that Jesus tore the veil tore the curtain between the holy and holies and the rest of the world is the fact that, listen, you actually have access to God. You can draw near in prayer. You can talk to him. It means that the holy of holies went from this place in the temple to your living room or your drive to work or your bedroom or your prayer closet. That's the kind of access God's given us. And listen, over the last seven days, we've watched God move in this church. And we're praying that God would move just like he did corporately in the last seven days personally in your life. Not because of anything good you did, 
Listen, there was no amount of money that I could have given that lady that would have got me to the owner suite. You realize that, right? Like I could have, here's a thousand bucks. She goes, honey, the, the, the food costs more than that. Like here's here's 5,000 bucks. Yeah, maybe you're getting close, but I don't have 5,000 bucks. And there's no way I could have talked to security guards into giving me access. See, what Jesus does is says, come on, they're with me. Hey, God, they're, they're with me. I know they don't deserve it. Look at them. They're not dressed for the owner's suite. I was in cargo shorts that were camo and a, and a t-shirt. Like, I don't, I'm not owner's suite material. But she said, no, they're with me. That's what Jesus says. They're with me. Come on. That's the invitation of prayer. But prayer only works if you will take ownership of your access to God. So what I want to do is I want to demystify prayer for us. What does it mean to take ownership of your access to God? In other words, how do you pray? I could grab a prayer blog and sort of give you some thoughts there. I could read another prayer book and deliver you some really profound thoughts. Or I can just invite you into my prayer closet. I want to tell you how I pray. Listen, this is not the only way to pray. This is not a magic recipe. But it is what God has used to help me Take hold of the access that I have to him. And maybe you've walked with God for 30, 40, 50 years. And you're like, I've been praying like crazy. And maybe God will just remind you of some things or correct some things and how you're going after him. Maybe you're not even a follower of Jesus yet. And you're going, I don't know where to even start with this. Maybe the spirit of God will draw you in. But I know there are places where God wants us to take hold of prayer personally. Why? Because you have access to God, unprecedented, unbelievable access to God. So take advantage of it. Own your prayer life. So here's the four words that guide my prayer. And if you're taking notes, it might be helpful to write it down. Here are the four words. That first word is up. It's just dark. First word is up, then in, then around, then forward. Can you say it with me? I want to I know you're awake. Say it, say it out loud with me. First one, up, in. Around, forward. That's how I pray. And you're like, that's really simple. Well, I'm a simple person. I need simple things. Don't judge me. Up, in, around, forward. Let's unpack those. The first one is up. And simply the first place I start in prayer is I elevate my view of God. It's worship. Up. I start vertical. And listen, the order to prayer matters. God prepares things in your heart as you pray. And so the first place I start is up. And here's, here's the prayer that I, that I sit in in Psalm 46. Be still. In other words, cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still. This is one of the hardest parts of prayer for me. I don't be still very well. That's not good grammar. But I don't be still very well. I don't know how to cease striving easily. I don't know how to downshift, put the car in neutral, and just be still and know that he is God. I don't do that very well. But it has to start there. Because if I'm honest, when I'm driving my life forward, pragmatically, practically, I act like I'm God sometimes. And the first thing God has to do in prayer for you and for me is to, for me to get to a place where it's not just here, but here I believe, God, I am not God. You are God. 
If I'm God, why am I praying? See, God wants us to be still. A lot of days I have to take my technology and just put it outside my office door and shut it. You notice how this world always has things for us to not be still in? There's whole, there's whole departments of, of, of technology companies that exist to help you not have to ever be still. You got the phone when you wake up, checking social media. When you're on the throne, you've got your games that you know how to play, which is super gross. Don't ever borrow anyone's phone, ever. While you're driving, you got that satellite radio listening to your talk shows or your, your music. When you get home, you got the TV. There's always an excuse to not be still. If you're looking for somewhere to not be still, just open your eyes. And yet the nature of prayer is that I have to start up. God, I have to be still and know that you are God. Sometimes I put worship music on in the background. It helps focus me. Sometimes I'll sing just me and God alone in my office or alone in my bedroom. And I'm just, oh God, this is who you are. That is who you are. I sit in that. Sometimes I just go through the names of God, who he is. He's creator of the universe. All these things that I see, God, you created them. When I look at those mountains, I see your, your powerful hand. God, you're king of the world. You're my Lord, my provider, my sustainer, my protector, my closest friend, my deliverer. It's a wrestling match some days. I don't want to get still before God, but prayer requires first up. All the pressures of this world want to drag me down to look here, and God's going, no, start here. Trust me, son, start here. And for me personally, worship is how I be still. Some of you, it's nature. You get out in nature, and you can just sit in quietness and look at nature and go, oh, God, you're creator. Look what you did. Some of you, it's through reading scripture. You read a psalm, and it just... has to start, prayer has to start giving him his due. God, this is who you are. Ansley, sing that over us. This is where prayer starts for me. God, you deserve the praise. God, you are God, I am not. Still and know that you are God, Lord. You're my provider. I'm not my own provider. Justified me through faith, through the blood of Jesus. I can't fix my own sin. I'm not on the throne of my life. I can't control everything, God. I sit inside of this and I confess it over and over again until it's true here. Worthy is your name, Jesus. There's no other name under heaven or earth. I sit right here until my view of God is right. Sometimes it takes two minutes. There's a song like that that just triggers, and I'm like, oh, it's right. Oh, God, there's no one like you. I am not God, and you are. I am still in your presence. Sometimes worship is a wrestling match for me. And I'm just, yeah, God, but I got stuff going on, and yeah, God, I got to, yes, God. God, can you just fix this real quick so I can get on with my day? And it's a wrestling match sometimes. But I don't leave up. 
until in here can just breathe and be still and know that he is God. If you're looking to know where do you start in prayer, you start there. Read through the names of God. Read through scripture. Go out in nature and be in awe of what he's done. Sit inside of a worship song like that. Allow the spirit of God to remind you, to humble you under the mighty hand of God. That's where it starts, but that's not where it ends. See, the second part of prayer for me is prayer goes in and God evaluates me. See, it starts me elevating God for who he is. It goes up, but then God's like, now it's my turn. I'm going in. And the reason you start with worship is because once you have a clear view of who God is, it gives you a way easier, clear view of who you are and who you are not. It's like you think you're buff until you go to a gym and you're like, no, I'm not that buff. There's some big boys in here, right? That, that, that's what worship does. The up helps me see a clear view of God. And then I look in the mirror because I can look around and compare myself to some really bad dudes and go, I'm pretty good. And that might be true. But in relation to who God is, I am off the mark. <laughs> and that's why the order of this matters. You see, in our culture, we say things like, I know my truth. You can't judge me. Sure, that's fine. He can. That's his job. His job is to help Climb into the mess of your life, and I give God the keys to my life, and I say, God, sift through the mess. I replay the last 24 hours before God. All right, Lord, we started yesterday. I woke up tired, a little bit drained. Kids came running in, and I was ticked because I wanted 10 more minutes of sleep, and I, God, I got to go clean that up with the kids. All right, God, forgive me for that. Man, when I was in traffic driving to work, oh, that's right, mm-hmm. 285, it takes takes my Jesus and sets them out there. Lord, forgive me for that. I got to clean that up, right? You get to work and go, oh God, is there any place at work that I was chasing selfish ambition or vain conceit? I I play my life out in the presence of God. See, Psalm 139, 23, this is the prayer I offer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Search me, O God, and know my heart. See, To many of you, I could live a day and you'd go, wow, you were flawless, but God knows my motives. I might have looked good, but why was I doing it? Oh, I wanted them to notice me. I wanted to get credit for something. So I just made, I made sure to put myself in the right place for the boss to see me. And yet you look good on the outside, but God's going, oh, son, oh, daughter, there's some icky stuff in there that you're trying to get noticed. And I want to help clean that out. You might be dishonoring God, and not even see it. And God might make you aware in new ways about where you're not honoring God. See, he wants to make you more like Jesus. And it's simple. You play your life out before God. Say, God, convict me. And when you convict, I will repent. And sometimes it's easy and obvious. Oh, God, forgive me for that. That was a mistake. Sometimes it's a deep-rooted thing that God's trying to take me to. Like, where did that come from, son? Not just what you did, but where did that come from? God wants to invite you in to making you more like Jesus. Sometimes I ask the question, God, where are you not first in my life? God, anything that's above you is now an idol. Anything that's before you is an idol. God, am I chasing materialism over you? Am I chasing success over you? Am I chasing money over you? Do I get more pleasure from food than being in your presence? 
God, where is anything over you? Sometimes I, I literally in the past have taken my credit card statement and brought it before God in prayer. And you think you're crazy. I'm not. Well, maybe, but I'm not in this regard. I go through, God, where's my money actually going? God, are you first in the most practical arenas? And there's times where God will look like, really, how much did you spend on Amazon? What do you value? Son, why are you spending like that? What's broken here that makes you want to spend your way to happy? Is that really going to fix what's broken in here? If you'd surrender and repent, I could fix the most broken places. It starts up and then it goes in and God evaluates me. And here's the good news. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This is the good news of the gospel. Prayer invites us to confession, and confession leads God to forgive us. And at this point in prayer, I feel a freedom in the owner's suite. So when I show up to the owner's suite, it's the awe of God. Oh, God, you're amazing. And then when you get in there, you start to feel the weight of your own sin next to who he is. And then when he offers forgiveness, you start to have a boldness. Like, God, you've made me right again. Like, you, you've cast my sins as far as the east is from the west. Like, you don't hold them against me. You're not human where I can say I forgive you, but in the back of my head, I still think about it, and I'm angry with you. God evaluates. It goes in. So prayer starts up and then goes in, and then it goes around, and I pray for the people around me. I pray through my relationships. I pray for my marriage. I pray for my wife. I pray for my kids. I've got a word doc for each of my kids of things I'm asking God for, very specific. And I can approach the throne room of God with confidence because of what Jesus did. So I make asks of God confidently. God, I'm praying this for Luke and this for Lizzie and this for Lincoln. This is where you forgive others. There's people that have that have hurt you and you have to deal with your relationships before God and say, God, help me forgive that person who hurt me. Even if they didn't ask forgiveness from you, you can forgive them before Almighty God. So I was traveling in college and I was leading worship and preaching at this little churches, little country churches all summer long. And I'll never forget, I was at a church at a Sunday night and it was, I think it was like 98% women over the age of 70 in the church, like 60 of them. And they had like a prayer thing and they said, all right, whoever wants to stand and pray for each other, pray. It was the most shocking experience. This old lady stood up. She's like, God, you know, Ethel over there. And she always brings the cheap stuff to our, to our food or our dinners after church. Lord, just help make her better than that. And then Ethel stands up. God, you know, Ruth, you know how she's got that voice on her. She talks, Lord, this is how they're praying for each other. I'm in the back mortified. When I say pray for others, that's not what I'm talking about. That, that, that's not what the invitation of God is here. You bring others before God. You filter your relationships through God. The number of fights that God has spared my wife and I from simply because I pray for her. You know, it's really hard to hate somebody and pray for somebody at the same time. You notice that? The amount of times my wife has gotten a text while I'm in my time of prayer going, hey, dot, 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 trying to get humble. My bad. We'll talk later. I'm sorry. And what that does is just whew, the pressure of our relationship. We're going to be fine. The amount of times God's given me insight into how to raise my kids. I literally pray through, God, what have you put inside of Luke? And then I listen. God, how do I best parent Luke? God, give me insight. 
There's times where God just gives me an impression for Luke. Hey, he's going through this. Or my daughter, hey, she's lonely. Just be near her. And I'll just take that night and go, I remember that, be near. And I'll just be near her. And I'll watch her melt into me. I would have never noticed that apart from almighty God speaking that into me. There are places in your relationships God would love to take you if you just actually bring them before him. He starts up. God deals with me in, and I bring the relationships around me, and then finally I pray forward. I bring my pressures, my plans, and my problems to God. And I have a list of things I'm asking God for, and I've got Word documents that have copious records. <laughs> and I can look back at things I prayed for five years ago and go, oh God, look how you delivered. There are things that have been on my prayer list for over 10 years. I'm going, God, I'm coming back again. Do you know that God invites you to bring your problems, your plans, and your pressures to him? You know he's not annoyed by that? See, I think some of the places that we break down in prayer is people say things like, oh, that's too small for God. He doesn't care. That might be true if you view God as Garth Brooks and you're in the nosebleeds. Yeah, Garth doesn't care about that. But when you understand that because of Jesus, he tore the veil, you're in the owner's suite with God Almighty, and you're just having a conversation. Cares. See, every morning I bring my calendar to God and I open up my calendar app and I pray through my day because my calendar is where most of my plans, problems, and pressures live, right? All right, God, my first meeting today is this. God, I'm meeting with Dan Vanderwall today. God, if you're browsing on campus, you know the prayer. God, help me. He's smart. He's fast. Help me be on pace with this guy. God, if there's something that you need me to say to him, help me see it. If there's something I'm missing there, God, help me, help me understand that. Then, God, I got a difficult conversation at lunch today with a guy that I'm going to have to say some hard stuff to. Would you prepare his heart for that conversation? Things you might bring to God. God, I got a big proposal this afternoon. Help me have favor with the decision makers. God, you provide for my future. Would you open doors for my business today? God, would you give me patience as I'm home today with the kids all day long? Give me patience and wisdom to lead them well. I bring my plans, my problems, my pressures before God. I bring my pressures. Matthew 6, 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. Because God clothes the, clothes the lilies of the valley. He feeds the birds of the field. And I, I have to sit here until my pressure is not mine anymore. It's his. How worthless am I when I am at a 9 out of 10 in pressure? God says, listen, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. If you, just, if you just give me your pressures, and I sit there until my pressures are his. God, you're my provider. Ultimately, you are the one that opens the doors for business. So God, do it. Provide. I bring my plans before God's Proverbs 16, 9. In his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. God, I'm telling you my plans. You know what I'm, what I'm doing in business over here, what I'm trying to do to set my family up here God, if there's something off in my plans, would you help me see it? Would you, would you give me peace about this or don't give me peace? And I won't move until you give me peace about it, God. I know I'm going into a ton of detail. And God might grab one thing and say, this is for you today. Here's what I'm illustrating. You have access to God. And he invites you into a conversation. Prayer is not religious Prayer is not a perfunctory duty. It's not a box to check. It's a conversation to have, a relationship to build on. 
and maybe for too long, you have sat in the back row and you've never realized that God of the universe invites you into the owner's suite. You have unprecedented access to God. And our prayer going into seven days of prayer is that God would start a revival of prayer, not just corporately, but in you. Where is God inviting you to take your next step in prayer? If I could make the decision for you, I would do it over and over and over again. If I could like make you a robot for a month and like I'm going to rigidly make you do these things in the presence of God and trust me, you'll wake up in a month and go, God, you've changed me. If I could beg you to start up and let God deal with you in and you pray for those around you and you pray for it. If I could do that for you, I so would. But the spirit of God invites you. Listen, here's the question. What if you were actually as close to God as you want to be? What if you were as close to God as you want to be? See, I didn't earn my way to the owner's suite, spiritually or practically. Someone brought me there, and the door was unlocked. I didn't have to knock. I didn't have to beg. I didn't have to plead. God is inviting you into a relationship, and you will be as close to God as you want to be. He is not the limiting factor. We are. Before Jesus, before the cross, that might have been true. But after the cross, the veil was torn and God invites us in. And where have you settled? Campus pastors, get ready to step up. Where have you settled for the back row when the spirit of God is inviting you to owner sweet access? And if you would build a rhythm of prayer, God would change you from the inside out and God would change the circumstances around you. Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.